Monica Canela, and I am a working artist, and I typically or primarily work with found and recycled uh, media of all sorts, um, which range from uh, making paintings and collages with very small details. Um, and sewing into them. Very, most often I build really large installations for using wood and fabric and other things from abandoned places. I make costumes and jewelry out of found things also. Um, I've worked in film, doing sets and making props and costumes and doing crazy makeup. Um, I make clothes. I do bookmaking and printmaking, and I do illustrations on and off, um, as well as teach kids how to use recycled materials to make art with. I do pretty much anything that sounds fun and interesting. Who was the first person to introduce you into the possibility that art could become such a fluid part of your life? Um, I don't think I was ever introduced to art in that way. I was kind of just grew up around artists and musicians and people that made things and being low income, like we grew up going to thrift stores and like my mom and her sister, they hurt their grandparents, my grandparents always made their clothes for them. And, you know, it's just like a very... Everybody that I was around was always making what they wanted for themselves and kind of, I just, that was what I knew. And from like a few months old, I was, had a pen in my hand and was constantly doing and making and drawing and building things. My dad was a carpenter and my grandfather was an architect. So I was always around people that were like building things and creating things from scratch my mom went to school for art and horticulture and massage, so it was all very like tactile, moving things that, I don't know. And then a lot of my dad's side of the family were also like musicians and all creative types. So that's kind of just all I knew. Did you um, have any siblings? Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a younger brother who's three years younger than me. Do you um, ever work with him collaboratively on art, or what is he up to? He does not do art. He is more of a, he was part of the gaming generation of, like, online gamers. That was mm -hmm. more his thing. We kind of are pretty opposite in the things that we like to do. I was very, like, outdoorsy, like, super tomboy adventure you know, climbing everything, breaking things, you know, just like <laughs> making and breaking and building. And he was very like games. Wow. So it's just kind of like a very different focus. So we definitely have never create like collaborated. He's not really like an arty sort. Yeah. I noticed um, just from kind of finding out about um, the work that you do, that you do collaborate a lot. And um, can you talk a little bit about that process? Like, how do you decide what projects you're going to work on and with who? Um, pretty much everything that I get into um, kind of unravels itself as I'm building up, like, as it comes to fruition. Mm. Like, up until sometimes I'm actually making a thing, like, I'll invite friends to come that are nearby and they'll end up being collaborators or we'll work on, I don't know. It just kind of comes up constantly. And like, depending on the different project, you're like, Oh, I'm going to build this public art project. And this person is, I have this one idea and this other friend of mine is really good at welding. So I'll invite them to be part of it and split the budget and kind of just create this thing that maybe you couldn't have made yourself. And in the process of doing so, 
you kind of just build more skills and like see what you're good at and need to get better at or like I don't know by collaborating pretty constantly you kind of get challenged Mm. by and like learn and grow in this way that I just haven't really found another way to do that like because making things is such a like constant in how I relate to the world and move through it it's kind of just like the main way I get to know people and get to like kind of experience just what I'm capable of and as well as other people and then in the end like with collaborations both people kind of grow and then you form these relationships that are past art as like a working thing it kind of just becomes like these moments and it's kind of the most intimate thing that I can personally share and like relate with somebody because that's Mm. my main like it's what I care about the most in like figuring out and doing Was there a, um, a moment in your life that you realized you couldn't do anything else other than create? Not necessarily. I mean, there's been a lot of turning points with the way I've moved into more mediums and larger and kind of more refined um, by kind of like honing different skills and like learning, teaching myself how to build better and like being, by being surrounded with many builders and like kind of pushing myself into things that I would have nece- wouldn't have necessarily ever done before by helping other people with projects. But like I've always been that weird art kid and I've always been that person in school, which has kind of been like this weird fluid. It opens up these like fluid relationships with all sorts of odd people that you wouldn't necessarily it's just kind of I don't know a river <laughs> broadens yeah because it's a lot of people everybody like needs some kind of thing sometimes so like made friends of lots of like punks and bands and because of drawing records and like did stuff with my friends on the swim team and like drew on them with sharpie for their meets and like made things for teachers and like did the school shirt you know it's all kinds of like oh here's this thing that I could help you figure out and like it's just like a weird thing that it's always been kind of like made sense how did you find yourself in Oakland um actually after I got out of high school um my Mom had been looking for a house um, to be close to my grandparents, and I wanted to kind of still be close to where my family was. So I just kind of looked at Oakland as a school, or like schools around there, and I don't actually know. I ended up in Oakland to go to school. CCA, is that where you went? CCAC. CCAC. (laughs) I know. When I started going there, it had crafts on it. So that is a very important part. (laughs) I think it's a lot different now. But when I did go to that school, there were kind of a lot, so many intensely talented peers and like teachers and people that I met there that were doing really um, incredible things that are still at kind of like the top of their game. And some of my best friends are like the lead of many things that they started in school and kind of we've all watched each other grow. And most of the people I went to school with are still like doing what they love as, as like a, for a living. So mm. it's pretty cool to kind of like not just go to school and be like, okay, cool, now I'm going to be a waitress not that that, there's anything wrong with that but it's pretty like 
empowering to see so many people that are good friends of mine kind of like doing all these very major mainstream or like side things where they started their own printing companies and book making things and are working doing film and you know illustrating for movies and I don't know yeah kind of like I'm in this pretty like special privileged world of like very magical creators and do you think that um, CCAC was a springboard for you to be able to make a living as an artist, like having those connections and um, that background? I think that there's a lot of people I wouldn't have met if I hadn't have gone there. And it was a very like magical time when I, with like a lot of very powerful people going to that school, um, I think it's changed a bit, but yeah, it was, it was just the like seed for making all these other relationships that, and like way to meet people and way to like use facilities that I wouldn't have had access to and like get ideas that I might not have, Mm -hmm. if I hadn't have been able to like take all these printmaking classes or like meet specific teachers like I changed my major the first after the first semester because of one teacher you know from painting to illustration because of one influential person that's still incredibly like powerful to everybody that's taken a class of his so it's like one person can kind of turn point whether even though I don't do illustration specifically I still do do it but I picked up so many like incredible things from like very specific people and those led to other things and other things. And I think I kind of get asked that question a lot. It's like, okay, so like, how do I make school? How do I like make it? And I'm just, I try and like, just that question comes up a lot with um, different kids and interviews and people that email me and kind of ask like, okay, so how do I, you know, get to do art for a living. And the main thing, whether you're going to school or whether you're just like in a community, you kind of find people that you're drawn to that are doing things that you're inspired by and you help them out and then they help you out and you kind of just, you know, learn by helping and then eventually you get help and it's just this whole big cycle of everybody kind of like pulling off of each other's strengths and pushing each other into like greater things and opportunities. And that's kind of like every project has like come up. Like I've never, ever asked to do a project in my life. And it comes from working with so many people and then they think of you and, you know, it's just comes from working your ass off nonstop. And then if people are inspired or you fit into something or I don't know, you work with people and then they think of you later. That's kind of just how it works. Like, it's not like, oh, I went to school and now I'm going to do this for a living. That's not at all how it goes. It's kind of just like all the foundations you make by like interaction, interacting with people and like seeing what you can do with each other and be pushed like all the time. I think that's something that people who aren't artists don't realize is like how how diehard you have to be you're in the studio I'm sure 16 plus hours a day working you know it's not it doesn't come without work you know and um can we can we talk about that for a second about um your work ethic and how you um how you go through your process of um kind of sussing out an idea of what what interests you just breaking down like how to choose what mediums to use, etc. Is it um, based on the collaboration or um, is it sometimes you sparking the idea yourself? I think that because I'm not kind of pigeon, I don't really let myself be pigeonholed into one kind of media that I don't ever get bored. So with the things that I'm doing, like the weirdest random and projects and like art shows and different things come up and they all kind of bounce around between like, oh, you're going to teach 
these like kids at the museum this how to like use recycled materials and then the next day it's like okay now you're going to go build a project as part of this other thing on this abandoned building and then and then the next day you're like going to go make a bunch of prints for this book fair and then the next thing is that you're going to design or like draw up a thing for a magazine it's kind of that's kind of just how things have kind of set themselves into place so like the me the like project denotes the medium that ends up being used because of whatever reason and it's also like what I've been looking at or like if I just went into found some like big weird treasure trove of chain I'll like make a bunch of chandeliers or like you know it depends on like where I've been and what I have around what kind of or what I've been thinking about or if there's like a theme or somebody I want to work with every little detail changes what the project becomes hmm. and who I end up if I end up collaborating or not or if you know who gets involved based on like what the project wants or how it will thrive you know what about symbolism in your work? Like I, I feel like there's a really strong, um, a really strong use of, uh, it almost feels like magic, you know, like, can you, can you talk about, can you talk about what that inspiration is for you? So the place that I live is also my studio and my studio is a giant weird cave in the ceiling of a weird building with no walls. So it's pretty much built out of old windows that I found and everything on every surface is weird remnants and tassels and old paper and things from all of the journeys I've ever been on. And I have this like hoarded collection of pretty much like memories from different places that I want to put into, that I want to look at, that I want to put into something eventually that I want to use right away, that I want to gift to somebody. It's all, like, in front of me. So when I'm making a piece, I have no idea ever what it's going to look like. I just kind of sift around through this archive, and whatever seems like the right thing or the right color or the right paper from some weird building, I'll just pull it out and it and use it for this one thing or decide, you know, it's, it's very much a crapshoot of what is around me and what I've picked up and what I've found lately or what I've refound in my like piles of stuff. Like, I don't know. So all of these things, I kind of have this really weird memory where I'm horrible at like names and remembering languages things, but I know where every single little article in my studio is from, like where every piece of paper and fringe um, comes from. Because I go into a lot of like abandoned buildings and find these like pretty much like disintegrating scraps of like other people's lives that have just been kind of abandoned and otherwise would rot and often take those little things and turn them into something else. So that's like kind of something that I'm pretty inspired by is like finding these little treasures that like once were really meaningful to somebody enough to like have them on them or in their home or wear them and that includes clothing and like you know jewelry buttons like all kinds of things um like old wallpaper like all a lot of my dishes are from abandoned houses you know like it's it's not really limited to like art materials it's like many things in my life like a lot of the things I wear even are just assemblages from things I've found and like remade. So it's kind of like every little part of my life I've, where I've been. 
and kind of wear them with me and then use them and kind of tell people the stories of where those things came from. And it's just this very interesting, like, and this came from this abandoned shipyard and the background of that. And then this thing is about the first time I did acid. And then there's these hidden things that are glow in the dark. So only you would see them if you like turn off the lights. (laughs) This is like from my grandmother's collection of this thing. And then, so like all those things kind of combine in like all sorts of different projects and presents and things and costumes that I make. And they're all very like sentimental to me. Mm. That's why I kind of like pick up so many little things, but I also at the same time give a lot of things away or like cycle through them or use them and like put them in kids' hands for classes that I'm teaching and just be like, this came from this crazy place. And, you know, you don't have to buy new things to make beautiful things and kind of just perpetuating that like things that have had a life already aren't always ready to die. And Mm. I'm kind of just like, so in love with old things. A lot of my stuff comes from flea markets too. So like everybody in the flea market knows me and finds (laughs) for me. (laughs) And like, it's like, that's like very precious part of my, my extended family as my flea market people. They're like, we missed you. You haven't been here in like a month. (laughs) Like it's like very sweet to have like these little different communities that like you relate to in different ways. that I um, learned about you was through the Painted Desert Project. And um, can you talk to me about how you came across that project and um, how the experience was for you? Just kind of break it down. My friend Nick Mann uh, went out to do the Painted Desert Project with Chip Thomas, who runs it and started it um, a few years ago. And the shack the like food stand that he painted for the Woody's family um, had burned down in like a grease fire. Hmm. And ever since then, that happened about a year ago. And ever since then, they've kind of been like hard up on that money. You like, they haven't been able to make that money and by selling food. So um, eventually, I guess Chip raised some money to invite us out. And my friend Nick was like, oh, I want to go out and rebuild their shack um, so that they can have a food stand again. And he, I had been talking, he just thought of me because I am part Native American and he, I've always wanted to do something on a reservation. And he was like, I was thinking about you for this project and we've never collaborated, but let's, let's try this. And um, we just started talking about it and eventually planned it out so that we would go out there in between multiple projects that I had. So me and Nick um, gathered different materials from different places and came out there. And um, the difference with our project was that we weren't just painting a mural onto something, we were painting and building it. So it kind of got really cool in the way that we were, we kind of started building it and painting it in, we can't, not building it yet, but painting it in Chip's yard. Hmm. And um, while we were talking to the family, they kind of just got really um, motivated to be around and be helpful and started bringing us food and came over to check out what we were doing and then would just start coming over and hanging out with all of their kids and all of their relatives and like, Chip was like, people never come to my house. This is crazy. Because he's like, he works at the clinic, so he's he kind of knows everybody um, in the Navajo reservation, and everybody knows him. And we were just would go out on a couple day trips to like go get materials and talk to people. And we're like, yeah, we're staying with Chip, and we're working on building a food stand and for the Woodies and different things. So like different people, we started making all these friends. And people are like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, do you need this? Oh, we're get- do you want some food? Like, it was very, <laughs> like, super, super sweet. We got invited to a wedding mm-hmm. by a woman that we met out there, a twin. So 
it all kind of just came together in this very community centric way and the whole family and all their friends came out to help um, raise it and they got railroad ties they donated they like brought over paint we had their kids roll out the walls and the roof everybody came out and helped us put up this structure and we kind of just we couldn't have done it without their help and like I don't know it was just very super sweet and I still talk to Chip like weekly lately and I the family uses all the time and I taught their daughter how to use spray paint and stencils and we let them paint and make some of the hummingbirds on the shack and now they sell food out of it and sometimes friends of mine go and visit it and it's pretty much just like the most that's like the point of art to me is to like serve a purpose and activate something you know like the art on the stands is such a genius way to like attract visitors like chip was a genius you know it's like of course you're going to stop if there's this beautiful bright thing that's catching your eye and then it supports the locals there and that's just such a like ingenious way to help a community of people that always has you know tourists passing by and then everybody thrives and everybody and then there's like things that bring you there I don't know art is just such a like it can be really powerful and like activate communities to like interact more and like outsiders to have a reason to like talk to people that they might not have before and I don't know it was just like such a very super heart project many, many things. Um, I am Filipino. My dad was born in Manila. So he um, had that culture behind him. And I'm, um, I'm also on my mom's side, I'm Chinook and French. Um, so there's another like um, thing. And then also Russian. And what about your um, Filipino heritage? Have you ever been out to the Philippines or um, no, connected in that not. way? Haven't. No, I mean, I have a lot of family in the Bay. Um, and I was, I saw them a lot more when I was younger and there would just be like these huge family gatherings and always feeding everybody just tons of food. And every single Filipino family had karaoke machine in their house, like just kind of the, I don't know. I went through like a, a funny thing, like second guessing myself. Cause I used to have like pink hair and pierce, like more piercings and started getting tattoos. And I was kind of like, Oh, is my family like going to be turned off by this? And one of my aunts was like, seriously, your blood that like, that's all that matters. And that kind of just stuck with me super hard because, you know, like not every single part of all parts of my family are like as open-minded necessarily. It's like you always kind of, I felt like a little bit like the weirdo. I'm always kind of like the black sheep that's like always trying to do everything wild and not traditionally. So it's very like grounding to just remember that like, blood is what keeps families, you know, together and is what really matters because like everybody goes through all this, these rough spots, but it's like, you don't always keep all your friends, but your family is your family for your life. How is your family's reception to the art you're doing and the work that you have going on now? Are they, are they aware or even like conscious of um, the caliber of collaborations and world recognition that you're having right now? Um, I think so. I don't know. I don't, I don't focus on it a ton. I'm just excited that I get to do it all. And I send, you know, like tell my family about stuff or if, I don't know, my mom specifically is like very 
you have to tell me every single thing. And she comes over, she lives really close to me. So she's oh, like nice. the most supportive, like whatever you need, like I'll just even hang out with you and sit here while you work, you know, do you need to like help me undo tea bags or like that? It's just a kind of support that is like, un, it's like endless, just, yeah. Hmm. But I mean, people, I kind of, put up a lot of things about what I'm doing, but I don't think anybody really knows the extent of like how many projects I have going on at once because it's overwhelms me to even just talk about the things I've been doing sometimes. So I'm just like, they'll just find out or I'll like, here's some pictures. And um, even though I've been working on stuff for months and months and months. You know. Give me an example of like a day in the life of like a crazy day in your life. Like, like what happens? Um, depends on if I'm in my studio or I'm doing a project, but like often a normal thing that'll happen is I will have a studio visit in a day. I'll have to ship out a bunch of art to several shows. I'll have like an interview due online, like a typed out interview due. I'll have somebody like helping me with an installation, like sewing a million things. Mostly I do everything by myself. So I'll, every day I'm multitasking. So it's, and then I'll have to like run errands and pick up this thing that package that came so I could use this print for this other thing. And then do like have a meeting about a book thing. And then it, it's, it's like, Lots and lots of multitasking and then like friends will come over and we'll have like a studio date is what I mainly is like how I hang out with my friends and then we'll like end up going out in my canoe and shooting stuff under the I made like a shooting range and my favorite part of Oakland it's like under these abandoned piers Whoa. so like go out with BB guns and like shoot and then we'll eat lunch in the estuary and a canoe and then we'll go back and make a fire and then I'll go back home and work till five in the morning and then I'll, like, go to sleep under my... I live in my studio, too, so I, like, sleep under my desk. And then I just roll out and start working again. <laughs> and, like, make coffee. But that's, like, when I'm home. And then I'll, like, make some jewelry for my friend's shop that I need to put more jewelry into out of, like, weird stuff that I found. It's, like, lots and lots and lots of multitasking all the time. And then when I'm, like, on a project, it's... Like most of the building projects I do, um, I don't, I really don't like to buy materials for installations. Um, I pretty much like find them or go to flea market or thrift stores or people give me lots of fabric. I have like big things um, with things that I build out of wood. I'll have to go get it. So before building any project, people want like a diagram of like what you're going to build. And I was like, I have no idea. I have this idea, but I don't know what I can do until I go find all the wood. So I don't know what it's going to look like. <laughs> and then you have to like, I go and find wood on the street or in buildings that are abandoned and, or burn down houses and like go find, like pick up all the wood, clean it, make it into the thing I'm trying to build, maybe cook food in between. <laughs> I was just going to ask, building. do you Never eat? <laughs> no, I eat really well. Good. I eat better when I have friends around because I like cooking, like I love cooking, mm. but I am like cooking tons of meals. I snack constantly and drink lots of tea. And I'm always like, I love food and I'm eating constantly, but yeah. And especially like adventure missions where you bring a picnic to the top of this thing and a boat. And then, yeah, <laughs> There's, it's like everything it resolves around, like revolves around adventures or making things or yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's like a pretty normal day. to ask you about your um your photo work and also your um your work with the idea of um 
of sexuality, of women, of power, of dominance, and all of these things that I've seen come up in this um, photography work that um, is peppering your um, your other work. Well, I don't. I take a lot of photos, but I think what you're talking about is the shibari. Yeah, series. kind of the, uh, the series of the shibari. Yeah, yeah. Um, that wasn't in mind of anything in particular. It was kind of um, got the idea kind of came up in my mind after I had seen these friends of ours do a very like really beautiful, intimate, like candlelit um, shibari performance. And shibari is like a Japanese rope bondage where, you know, it's very like it's using ropes as the lines to bind somebody and just kind of witnessing that for the first time um, was just very powerful and it was so like loving and like the power exchange involved was so like intense that you could kind of just feel their love for each other and you know um, my friends um, they go under they perform and teach classes under the name bondage erotic so I kind of saw that and afterwards was like I don't know how but I really want to collaborate with you guys in some way like just, I don't know, maybe we can like talk about some ideas at some point. And then my friend Marcus, who runs a prop shop in San Francisco um, called Scene Two, or One Hat, One Hand, he um, mm-hmm. had been talking to me for like a while, like over a year or two, about wanting to someday do some kind of photo collaboration where he, he's a photographer and he does like many, many, he works in many media. But um, he used to take photos a lot more, and he was like, I just want to do something that's like kind of magical, um, but we had never really talked about a specific thing. Um, I was like, hey, why don't we have a meeting about, you know, collaborating in some way, and then kind of like just pulled a bunch of images from like what I, how I wanted to explain like different scenes and kind of just sketched up a couple like really quick drawings and then it ended up happening where everybody in their specific medias kind of like really just pulled through and like my friends built sets for each scene that we did and then based on the drawings and ideas that we all talked about and then um, with the ropes um, Antonio who does the rope work and Victoria his partner who is also usually his model Um, they came up with all these very specific poses that would be fitting for like different and different scenes and stuff. And then my friend, Jesse Brown, she styles things in this like very magical way. And she did all the styling and kind of guided the set building. And, and then, um, I make costumes all the time just because I enjoy it. Um, and I often, I go to Mardi Gras every year in New Orleans. I used to live there and I have like this very seriously magical amazing group of friends there that all are very like make the most beautiful things so that's kind of my excuse to to like once a year just really go off and make a ton of new costumes so that was about to come up after this meeting and I was like well I'll just guide the costumes I'm going to make for this year for the shoot that we're going to do so I'll like multitask and then I'll put together these different costumes based on what we were talking about with the shoot. So came back from that. I was actually really sick and I had the flu and I had a fever. Just got my chest tattooed. (laughs) Yeah. um, As a tattoo, I also do hand done tattoos like old school. I've done a little over 300 something and I will only ever do it by hand. But Mm. I just did a trade with a friend of mine. It was the first time I got tattooed by a man was a, a good friend of mine and um he got the middle part of it it's like a big white pattern that's like a protection symbol um I traded him for a tattoo behind his ear of the middle part of the the feathers of an arrow mm. um, and that was his first stick and poke even though he's covered with tattoos anyway so I made all the costumes for that came back had a was really sick but he decided to do the shoot anyway and over two days we kind of just like jumbled together on like with no budget just 
these like really magical scenes and everybody just really honed in their specific skills and just created this like really magical, amazing thing. And we had the prop shop to use. Um, so like a very like super professional setup and they have like really nice cameras and lighting and got to kind of just pull from everybody's resources. And then I did all the costumes and the makeup and kind of just styled like the, the models. So I was in all the poses and then Victoria was in two of them also. So it kind of just came together in this like super magical wow. way all of a sudden in two days. And we did um, two shots the first day and then three the next day. And like, mind you, I had only, we, I had only been suspended once. And a lot of the poses that we did were like very intense on your body. And I was already really sick. So it was like very intense experience. Oh my gosh. <laughs> nonstop, like super amazing. Just kind of doing what you have with your resources. Is So like the next round that we're going to do eventually is just can even, even if we take just a little bit of time and don't rush it, like that's what happened when we rushed it in a few days, like prep, you know, like just imagine what we can do with like more people, you know, more Dang. elaborate settings and costumes and ideas. And so that's just like another project, like side thing collaboration that's just opened up a whole new like thing. And then of course, to display them, I had a solo show a few months ago in LA um, at Subliminal Projects. And I was like, well, I might as well showcase and like show them to all of our friends in the world so and I can't just frame something because I don't do photography and I don't like traditional showing of anything yeah so then we like put our me and Marcus put our heads together and made he helped me to design these like big crystal giant like like sculptural frameworks that could collapse and were all sewn together wood that I painted yeah it was like so then we got it printed on wood boards and you know it was just very special like the way they were shown and then in the middle of the show we did a uh, Antonio and Victoria did a performance Shabari performance with one of my costumes on in the middle of the gallery where all the images were so that people could really like see what was involved with rope work like most people haven't seen that before it's very intimate and special and mm. you can't just like go see it so it was kind of just like another way to like use shibari is kind of like a very I don't know taboo like it's very like sexual and I kind of wanted to like use the lines of the rope in a way that's just like making showing beautiful form and trying to kind of turn it towards like a more magical like surreal scene versus mm -hmm. like this is really sexy you know like I didn't that's not what I was trying to portray at all and like I think we really figured it out kind of on how it like yeah. beautified a body not that traditional shibari doesn't do that but kind of wanted to do something different with that using rope as a medium yeah I, the um imagery really looked like um it portrayed a, a a strength in like the submissiveness I don't know it it really carried through as a as a really empowering um visual um aesthetic choice to me you know I it, yeah. it really came across strong um it was really beautiful work yeah and it was kind of scary to, or like you know to put something put yourself out in the world like that like I teach children and <laughs> on and off and you know like you don't usually do that you don't like show your body like that you don't you know so it was kind of just like uh I don't know this is like once you put it out there it's out there and you know not everybody is gonna like everything you do and not everybody it's not gonna but you kind of just have to deal with the consequences of the things you make and be proud of them for what they are. And I'm super happy with what we did.
I really just am so in love with like the decorated body. Like every culture just has a different, like beautiful, unique thing that like tells a story that is something that's imprinted on you or in your skin or on the traditional dress of a culture. You know, it's, and it tells you something, whether you're married or whether how many battles you've you know, it's all these like stories that you wear on yourself. And I'm just so, I just think it's super beautiful to like, it's the same as like scars and it's like the moments you're collecting throughout living your life and the same, I mean like different cultures use tattoos for that and to show like things you've gained or earned and just, it's like weird secret merit badges of just beauty and hmm. weirdness and you know, like individuality that is like so super different with every person and means something different to every person. And I just am super in, interested in like celebrating the decorated body. Like, I just think it's so beautiful. Like, like for instance, there's this long going like um, series of portraits of like old parlor portraits and different also with a new body of work I just made for the show in London that's opening um, tomorrow. Um, those are using really old pinups that are like disintegrating. It's just using people that with like as a blank canvas mm. and kind of, kind of turning, covering them with like decorations that kind of give them a new life. Um, okay. And in like enshrining like just using you know, decoration as something else, something like a new history for that person that might not have ever considered themselves that way, yeah. like an out, outward kind of fairy tales. I think that's something that's really lacking in American culture today is that connection to yeah. Yeah, to tradition and to meaning and importance. So that's really beautiful to hear. Yeah. Like more like having to do with that also, um, the original thought of decorating those parlor portraits, you know, they're all like colonial and, you know, um, have you seen those portraits of Native Americans when the colonies started kind of taking over and they'd be like half dressed traditionally and then half of them in like a top hat and a suit, but then they'd still have like their feathers on and their braids and, you know. I was kind of thinking of that in terms of the opposite way. I was like, what if all those settlers kind of was like, kind of took all of the outwardly physical like decorations and turned them onto those, you know, kind of like all black and white droll, you know, stamped out pictures. So that's kind of where I was going. I kind of wanted to like do a reverse of the history that kind of, stamped out lots of like traditions and I was did, kind of just trying to reverse that history in my own personal way. Did you do that specifically because the show was opening in London or was it just uh, coincidental? Oh no, those are portraits I've been working on forever. Forever. Um, those, those portraits, um, I sent a couple of them to London, but, um, it's, it applies to like all cultures and yeah. like a lot of youth just kind of just not having the interest in like holding on those traditions and passing them on. And, you know, I think that's just so incredibly sad mm. to like watch these like, like amazing things and techniques and just kind of slowly die off because of fucking America yeah. being so overtaking. Like, I think it's horrible. I think it's super depressing. What kind of advice do you have or like a story or an experience that might inspire young artists to not fall into this like consumer um, kind of propaganda based American idealism, blah, blah, blah. You know, like how how have you found ways to reconnect with the magic in life? And um, how can you share that with young artists? Um, I think that it doesn't have to apply to artists at all. I think it's just to people in general. Like, 
I feel like a lot, I hear off so often that people just become stagnant and feel so uninspired and, you know, people get into these routines that are so menial and kind of like drives the will to be a powerful person away. Like people are like, cool, I get off of work, I go to a bar, I drink a beer and then I go home and repeat. This is like so depressing to me. <laughs> and I think that um, with a lot of people, like all you need to do to like reactivate like feeling alive is to go put yourself in an adventure and like into a, a place you've never seen before and like do things without knowing how they're going to end up. Like that's completely how I'm refueled constantly. Like I get go into art jail is what I lovingly call super studio time where I'm not allowed <laughs> to leave and have so much work to do. But then I love that because between every stint of like being in art jail, I'm running around like on these crazy adventures. I go out in my canoe constantly. I bring people to secret places and like, you know, explore constantly and like find treasures and new places and new secret spots and like, you know, travel as much as you can. It doesn't, and these things don't have to cost you money. It's like just take a bike ride to a place you've never been, like try a food you've never tried. You know, it's just pushing yourself to get out of a routine. Mm. I think it's a huge to anybody, like so important, no matter how old you are or like what you're doing or I don't know. It's like, you know, people get really depressed in their mode a lot because they don't think there's anything else to do. But like the whole world is so large and there's so many different kinds of people. Like even just starting a conversation with somebody that you wouldn't normally talk to usually will lead somewhere really crazy and then you'll learn something or like be motivated to try something that like maybe you never would have tried before. And I think that's just such a good policy is to like open yourself up to like more possibilities especially with things that like might make you uncomfortable or you know push you to use like try things you've never tried before like learn how to weld or like build something or sew like you know yeah and like she'll skill sharing is like another just like oh your friend knows how to do something that seems really interesting just go ask them how to do it or like maybe you can help them on a project and like learn that skill by doing it, you know, and see if that's something that you'll be excited to buy. It's yeah. just so sim it can be as simple as that, you know, mm. but yeah, no, that's good advice. I mean, like you said, not only for artists, but for everyone. And a lot of the things you're talking about are things that back in the day we used to just do as part of life. And now it's like, um, convenience has lost us that, um, creative spark in our daily you know you have to like yeah. force yourself into it now if you don't well everything's so easy and like replaceable and like you know you don't have to work for ease of anything you can just look it up on the computer you don't have to like go find a book or like seek the knowledge out from some specific skilled person it's like oh click and then you're like just staring at a screen or staring at your phone instead of talking to the person next to you it's like everybody is just so kind of like frosted over mm. it's like such a sad way like you look around everybody's just looking at their phones I mean I do that a lot because I'm I I talk to a lot of people about projects and I I'm doing stuff on my phone too like yeah. I'm I'm no exception to that but it's, it's pretty, like, grotesque sometimes when you just, like, look up and, like, nobody's talking to each other that are, and you're, like, you're hanging out, but you're not present at all. So it's, I don't know. Yeah, how do we, how do we, um, how do we combat that as, as um, this generation who's just seeing it take over, you know? It's so impossible. <laughs> it's just know. the beginning, too. It feels, I, I mean, I feel like we're on the brink of, like, something really creepy. <laughs> well, children are growing up like that. Like, five-year-olds have iPhones, you know? And it's like, 
Yeah. Uh, and you talk about like your brother, even a few years younger, like totally like missing the boat of adventure in a certain sense, you know, um, going well, no, into gaming. Definitely. And yeah. it's like, there's a very huge, it's like half of our culture is like gamers and like online and, you know, like that's how they relate to the world and this like kind of violence and yeah. technology driven. It's like, that's all that matters. Like they're, there's no outdoors. Like a lot of the, that generation is like, I don't know what a tree is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just know about blowing stuff up. <laughs> it's really hard. Is there something that you want to say to the entire world? Something your art can't say, you know, like. Well, I mean, besides just like getting out of your comfort level, I mean, it's, you would be so surprised how big of an impact it makes to show people that they are capable of things that they might not be comfortable with. Like I really thrive and in teaching like young people and old people, but like when you are kind of, you kind of get activated when you're around children because they're so, their imaginations are so limitless, but they're also so hungry for knowledge and like experience. And just, I think it's really important to um, tell all like sexes and ages that they are capable of anything mm. especially and especially like using found materials and kind of like kind of diverging people on a path that is more like I guess the word to call it is green where you know there's not going to be unlimited things and just because something is cost money doesn't mean it's worth more just because something is new doesn't mean that's the only thing you can use like being able to see what you can do by like recycling the resources that are right in front of you is such a like magical thing that mo like people don't realize that, Oh, there's this thing I already have that I can use for this thing. You don't have to go buy something new because mm -hmm. you live in a consumer culture. You can like reuse the things around you and, you know, share the skills you have and like, you know, everybody can grow by what already exists. You don't have to like make new things and throw them out constantly. It's the same with, you know, gathering the skills. Like the more everybody shares with each other, like the more everybody grows and gets stronger together and like makes really strong communities that like take care of each other. And that's like kind of the most important thing, like over anything you do for a living and anything you know, you've said you've done, like, as long as you're taking care of the people around you, whether you know them or not, and you're just kind of looking out for people as like people, then you'll be fine. I agree completely. Community, I, I totally believe that um, it starts at home. I completely agree. No matter if your home is your um, blood relation or not, you know, like even you said, like cooking, meals for your friends you know that is a connection point that is being lost it's like even just simply like oh i'm feeding you to keep you alive and happy and <laughs> it's not just like you don't it can be a wonderful thing everything you do can be like you can take joy out of like the most mundane things you need to eat but you can eat with many people and like share mm. and then it, all of a sudden it's like a celebration instead of just like oh i have to eat you know it's just like making like living sacred and like mm. making little things that might not be meaningful, like, like little acts of kindness and like friendly gestures and like listening to people that like maybe just need to be heard. You know, it's like little tiny things that kind of all add up and like make people feel like solid and worth, you know.
Thank you.